Welcome to the Idle Book Club. This month we are discussing Cosmic Comics by Italo Calvino. Welcome to the Idle Book Club for April 2013. I'm Chris Remo. And I'm Sean Vanneman. And this month we are reading Cosmic Comics by Italo Calvino. Italo Calvino. Or, if you're uh, Alex Ashby, Italo Calvino. Italo Calvino. Yes. Um, God. I enjoyed that. As you may have heard in our little intro thing there. So, uh, this book was chosen by Sean. I had never heard of this book before. I'd I'd heard of Calvino. Um, I think, actually, I originally heard of him uh, because he was often spoken of in the same breath with Umberto Eco, who is right. one of my all-time favorite uh, authors. Yeah, they're really different authors, though. Yeah, they, they're, they're very, very they're different. Quite different. I yeah. think it's because they have, uh, like, uh, I mean, romance language like, names goofy, yeah, yeah, that end in an O. I also um, used to conflate them when I was in college. Mm. Um, um, the the trans- I don't know if this is the same translator that has translated most of Calvino's novels or fictional works, but William Weaver, who translated Cosmic mm-hmm. Comics, was the longtime translator of, um, of Umberto Eco, all the way up until um, Echo's last novel or two novels. Um, Prague Cemetery. Yeah, the Prague Cemetery, uh, Weaver did not translate. But Weaver is actually a fascinating character in his own right. And there was a really excellent interview with him in the Paris Review that I would highly recommend uh, looking up where he talks about uh, reading works in translation. It's actually quite discouraging. Because, right, where he's just like, you're getting the secondhand yeah, shit. Yeah, he's like, this is not the <laughs> you're real getting, deal. You're like getting like the half-cooked. real deal, yeah. He does um, really well, though. I was actually noticing character. that. Like, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I just noticed that in the book. Like, I feel like he does that. Um, God, what was it? He truncated a word that is a definite creative choice. And I oh, did I, I, I mentally underlined it. He talks oh. a lot about that in the interview, actually. He talks a lot so about the good. differences of translating for Echo versus Calvino. And Calvino is so much... Um, he always talked about how Calvino sort of fancied himself intellectual and it would um, give him these really weird, specific requests that Weaver will then have to push back on because he said, look, no, I understand English in a way that you don't like this. Right. Believe me, this is not. How you I will codify that. that idea in a way that is, yeah, that is yeah. not quite what you're asking for, but cool. we'll I mean, get to the, it's sort of um, it's the art of translation. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting to the heart of it, even though you're not getting to the literalness mm-hmm. of it. And I think that's yeah. always really fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Gosh. Um, so anyway, no, so I get back to yeah. this book. Why did you, why did you choose Cosmic Comics? Um, I chose this book because I like it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) No, um, yeah, I just, this book is so, it, it does things with sort of, I don't know if it's necessarily like, it's, I wouldn't know if you'd call it magical realism. Not really. I think it's too far gone. Yeah, it's too far gone. But it does things that exist in a, uh, surreal yet grounded space that I think my entire life I always even as a writer wish I could have ever done mm-hmm. so it's just more of like I revere him sure, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, as yeah. an author yeah and this book kind of came into my consciousness when I was in college because it was recommended by a writing professor who I had a super big crush on <laughs> I think I said that already I said I think I said that at the end of last last cast but yeah, it was a, a writing professor at the University of Southern California who said this is one of her favorite. I think she was doing an interview with the New Yorker or somebody. Or mm-hmm. any, she was in. It was she didn't say it in class, 
but I was reading all of her interviews and all of her books and everything while I was, mm-hmm. while I knew her. So I was essentially a stalker. <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> an intellectual stalker. Right. Not like, I didn't like follow her to her house or anything, sure, but yeah, I was definitely yeah. like trying to like mm-hmm. keep, keep tabs on her. There was, there was a, a there was a map on my wall metaphorically that was essentially her consciousness and what she thought was great and i was putting and pins were, in it were on a road trip and like, drawing like a beautiful mind style yeah, right. yeah so uh this book was a big pin in the middle of it and uh i feel like i probably I shouldn't even say who what author it is but her <laughs> books are great she's an okay you know what there's another short story collection called um girl in the flammable skirt by amy bender another big big fan of that one <laughs> anyway uh so it kind of hit you you know when you're like 20 and somebody recommends you a book and it hits you a certain way i think that's probably why i like it as much as i do there are definitely stories yeah. in here that i like way more than the oh, other ones for sure same here. i think there some of the middle stories things. i have I'm, i get sort of bogged down in i agree, agree. but i think the opening story and the final story mm-hmm. Um, I can just name them and kind of yeah. say really quickly what their yeah. subject matter is. The distance of the moon. Well, let's before we do that, let's okay. let's give some just background on this book. So, Cosmic Comics is a series of stories, all ostensibly told from the perspective of the same character. Although I'm not sure how much that matters. Mm-hmm. That um, these are stories that span the entire age of the universe, from you know the first microsecond of its existence through the the infinitesimally short events of the Big Bang, all the way up to uh, the present day and, and by extension, potentially the future. And, and they tell the story in extremely, um, uh, kind of whimsical terms Mm -hmm. of things like the creation of the elements that, that compose the universe or of the evolution of species or of the formation of planets and stars and galaxies. Or even just something abstract, like, like uh, the speed of light mm-hmm. and how that yeah. communicates information over mm-hmm. hundreds and millions of years. And so each each story starts with a brief statement of some scientific principle or description of the creation or evolution or what have you of the universe, um, but then immediately jumps into a highly subjective, highly sort of invented uh, uh, personal account of that, of, of that principle or event. Yeah, every single... Um, unit of character, I guess, is essentially a full consciousness, a human mm-hmm. voice, right, right. which I think is really cool. Even if it's just an individual atom, yeah. Even if you're just a hydrogen atom bouncing around, trying to like, like spinning through space, yeah. and uh, I don't know. It, this book reminds me. The individual stories when they really land remind me of, of being a child, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, totally. I think that's in sort of the immediate space around you and how you make your relationships with the things that are happening to you. And uh, I'm almost able to connect with every single story in a certain, and again, it's a collection of short stories. It's only 150 pages. I think it's maybe like 12 stories. Yeah, 12. And uh, some of them I connect, I sort of have like, I don't know. I think that's really cool. Like, I think that's what I like about short stories beyond just, sitting here and critiquing the minute by minute execution or the overall themes of the book. It's a book that allows me, and this is some of the most valuable books I think I have. And they span the gamut of big Q quality um, that are on my shelf of things that I just build really, really intense personal relationship and connection with Mm -hmm. the things that are happening in the book than anything that's really happened in my life. And not that like, 
it's, I think it's just the way all of the consciousnesses in these stories build relationships with their immediate surrounds mm-hmm. that I think was so core to the way I experienced being a human being when I was a child. Mm. And I think that's why I connect so strongly with the book. Uh, the Distance so, of the Moon is definitely one, yeah. but um, A Sign in Space, huge, 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 huge. Um, the Light Years. The Light Years, my God, that one yeah. floored me. The Spiral, the I spiral, like a lot. Yeah. The last two, The Light Years and The Spiral. The, the the one before Light Years, the third to last story, was by far my least favorite in the, the book. The form of was, space, which like I just couldn't stand. Gotta it. Gotta grab it really quick. Um, um, I just want what's the quick pitch? Oh, when they're falling through space and spinning space. and sort of a romance novel. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain why later. Right, I feel like he'd returned to yeah. a larger thing that I that was mm-hmm. like the one thing I didn't like about this book. I feel like he um, sort of had returned to that that theme of of a male consciousness pursuing a woman consciousness one too many times. times. Like by the time I got to the form of space, I was like kind of over it. Kind of the grossest to me for a lot of reasons. But then, and so I was really bummed out. It's a very sort of like romantic Italian sort of like, you know, know, he's born in the twenties, you know, he's like, you know, has sort of, it's cliche, but, um, but then, and so I was kind of bummed out because I saw that I was physically reaching the end of the book. And then the next two, the light years and the spiral, were just, I I was getting to to the end of um, the light years and I was like, oh, my God, there's still one more story after this. I really hope it's not bad. And then it wasn't. <laughs> you hope it's not just it's another guy story. chasing a lady. Yeah. The, the, first, the first story, The Distance of the Moon, and the last two were just, I thought, the real What's funny was. is The Distance of the Moon does play in that realm of a man who's got this obsession with yeah, a woman and goes after her. Is the woman has her own motivations and desires. She right. pure, in, She's in not an the, object of collection. Yeah, yeah. In, the, in the third to last story where they're just falling for the entire time, the woman is she is so objectified and so such a non-entity that she literally spends the entire chapter like looking at her nails and preening herself. I mean, right. it's not even she like pull, pinches every individual hair out of yeah, her leg. It's just, I think. She's yeah. so self-centered in this like cliche yeah. feminine way that because the funny thing about this to me is that I there were so much of the I guess this is just what we're talking about now. That's fine. That's fine. So there were. A lot of these stories, as you say, deal with this notion of um, either unrequited or kind of ambiguously requited love between the male consciousness and some object of affection. But there are some of them, uh, like the last one, I would say, which is at the spiral um, and, yeah. and, a, and a couple others throughout that deal with this some, something more profound and un, and and harder and hard to quantify about attraction, which is this notion of this, those weird, hard to explain, hard to pin down feelings of just kind of pure attraction and love, almost in a theoretical sense. Like Mm -hmm. they're that undefined. Yeah. Um, like this sense that there's some kind of cosmic energy, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and those to me really hit home and those I thought were really effective and spoke to the, just the themes of the novel and, and, bringing in these vast cosmic distances and like eons and eons of time sort of relating them to the way that we as humans kind of perceive the world and experience our emotions. But then the ones that get super literal about it and literally just cast the woman as an actual object to be one or captured in the world yeah. Yeah, or captured or, and there's often, um, those the other one often be... come along with a male and the other males only, um, without purpose in the world is just to be a rival for the woman. Right. And it's just assumed that the men in the story, all they care about is winning this woman and the woman has no other purpose. And so there's several, what's interesting though, is all those stories though, 
all those each one of those stories where the woman is sort of this object he never gets her and very definitively doesn't which i always think is really <laughs> that's true kind of fascinating like yeah. there's the other one that i, I think that is really um, but he also doesn't he also games doesn't, without i mean no no without colors is the one where they're sort of like sprinting across the barren landscape before the idea before water or anything is brought in color to the world oh yeah, yeah and that yeah. woman goes down into the cave and then says yeah i'm not well, coming was, out and that then was get, interesting yeah she had her own like clearly different worldview mm-hmm. that was there was something that was fundamentally incompatible that he found hard to accept so you think in your I, mind um the which one the gravity one mm-hmm. what is it called it's called oh, i'm so bad no not the form of space it is uh, it is the form of space oh it is the form of space so that one you think was beyond went beyond yes because it, it literally yeah. represented this woman as just pure, like she was actually painted quite specifically. It was, there was right. nothing ambiguous about her character and the way that a human being is right. kind of ambiguous and hard to pin down. Like she really was just this kind of sexy falling object. But it's also through the eyes of the main character of that story though. Yeah. I, like he, obje- the character objectifies her. I don't know. Do you, do you believe the story does? Cause I think the story I think ends this, up being in service of does. the ending there. Where he yeah. talks about them fall falling through these parallel lines and them all meeting at a specific point. So even if he so, were to achieve, even if he were to capture her, she in this theoretical end to their falling or to their their travel through space, they would all coexist in the same point and they wouldn't be able to be alone. Yeah. And that, which and is that, sort of just makes a guy a douche. No, no, and that in <laughs> itself is interesting. And also the character's perception of the other male is interesting right. because the other male is portrayed. What a hilarious as, name that guy had. It's like Lieutenant something. Um, Fort Fenimore. Fenimore. I mean, the, the, the woman was Ursula, which was also weird. Everyone's got these wacky names and then suddenly these two are like, anyway, whatever. But, um, uh, so the other, the male, other male character in that who's sort of portrayed as the rival to me, it was actually entirely like he was perceived entirely by the narrator to be actively competing for the affection of this other character, Ursula. Right. Um, which may or may not have been happening. Which may or may not have been happening. But I felt like there was room for that ambiguity in the telling. Of course. It didn't feel like there was any room for ambiguity in the telling about the woman. Oh, in her. It felt, that's so, that's it felt so lamely concrete to me that it just, I like, understand. It didn't, it didn't work. Okay. But there were other, there were other stories like the final story and the one that you talked about where they're kind of racing across the, the landscape and the color before the colors even existed. And those to me were much more successful, um, uh, uh depictions of, of just relationships of any kind. You know I mean? Yeah. It, it was, it, it, I bought that a lot more. Yeah. And so there, there were, there there's it's obviously it's a it's a gray area right like it's a fuzzy line but but there were kind of two types of general depictions of male and female relationships in this book that some of them i found a little more egregious than others okay but you know that is fair yeah uh but yeah i think when the when the book is at its best Mm -hmm. i am absolutely just floored oh for sure from yeah. And I don't know if I'm thinking about it as like a, a reader or as a creator, but there, when he goes in, when, when he just slides right into this mode of defining in very concrete terms, a very abstract thing mm-hmm. and making it have weight and mass and, uh, like having it be an, actually in the space of the character's consciousness like oh it's right there and i can touch this thing yeah. and it could be 
gravity or it could be a molecule or it could be mm-hmm. a dinosaur. I didn't really like the dinosaur story that much either. For what it's worth. Oh, and I don't know. This didn't land for me. Sure. But that is so, prof- like, it's an entirely different brain mode that I think, mm-hmm. like reading this book is hard and it's only 150 pages yeah. because it's turning on parts of your brain when you read it that are very difficult. You don't access every day because you have well, no reason to. <laughs> it also, it activates two different parts of your brain that almost never get activated at the same time. Right, right. Like that was, so when you were talking about earlier on, um, I think you made, if I recall, you made reference to kind of the notion about, of like how kids perceive things and learn right. to understand things. And that really hit home for me because I, that was something that I thought was really wonderful about this book is taking these concrete scientific concepts, but sort of spinning them out in these ways that go, that go beyond kind of scientific logic and, and are, are more intuitive in their understanding mm-hmm. and even totally fantastical. And it made me consider the question, like, could you read this book to a child or would it just be too, like too metaphysically weird? You know, like <laughs> I, I, that's I, a good I, que- I was, that's a that. really good question. Yeah. Did you think about that while you're reading it? I did. I wrote, I, I wrote that down on, um, in the middle of the story, um, at daybreak, which is, uh, the second story. And there's this little, there's this parenthetical phrase on page 21. If you have the, the, uh, Harcourt paperback edition and the narrator says, uh, he's, he's talking about this character, Nickel, his names are all unpronounceable, <laughs> Nickel Rosifus. And um, and he's saying it wasn't as some say now that he had turned into nickel, unable, retarded as he was to go beyond the mineral phase. It was a different thing altogether. And I only mentioned this out of love for truth, not because he was my brother, but he had always been a bit backward. True enough, but not of the metallic type, if anything, a bit colloidal. In fact, when he was still very young, he married an alga, one of the first, and we never heard from him again. And the, just the rapid switching back and forth between purely kind of human familial concerns and these very specific concepts about like semantic like you just sort of i need to define the terms what i'm uh, yeah it's just it was really fascinating to me and i don't think i've ever read anything quite quite like it this is where they're all bumping into each other yeah in the darkness Mm -hmm. yeah god that's a good one and light shows up right the one a sign in space this is the one that really started started to like kickstart these very like old um, memories and just feelings of being a kid for me. Mm. I had really bad vision and I didn't get glasses until like the third grade. Uh-huh. So I had a really peculiar relationship with anything that was far away from me. Mm-hmm. And I had a really intimate relationship with everything that was close. And uh, I used to ride in the bed of my dad's truck all the time. Mm-hmm. Because my dad was careless, <laughs> and it was the <laughs> and it was the eighties yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the late early nineties, I guess. But and we'd go the same way to get to my grandparents' house when the brief time I lived in Ohio. And there was a section of the, my dad's truck. There were these tie downs that had holes that you could see down to the road. And I would lay in the bed of his truck and look through this hole, and I would just see the road go by at thirty miles an hour. I mean, if I a wreck and I'm dead, <laughs> but, right. you know, I would I'd lay there in the bed of the truck with my dog and just stare down at the ground. Mm-hmm. And we did the trip so many times that I built a relationship with that stretch of road hmm. almost. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is where the lines are dotted. This is where the lines yeah, are yeah, gone. Yeah. This is where this is that, you know. And I think I, you start building these mental signposts of where you are, even though I was staring straight down and I knew kind of how far we were and how far mm-hmm. we were from home. And that concept of what a sign can be and that emotional yeah. sort of like, I'm yeah. keeping an eye out for this thing that I have built a relationship with. Uh-huh. 
was just like, <laughs> like oh, it's so yeah. good. And well, that's he, he he comes back to that notion of a sign. Like yeah. that, that appears in a number of these stories, and it's kind of takes a different literal form in each case. But that's I felt like that was a really important motif. In and there's this is sort of this concept of existing through the in context of of reflecting light mm-hmm. of there is a world without this book on this table and there's a world with this book on this table and its significance exists in the fact that, that light is bouncing. That, off of it yeah. You know, the, it's, yeah. it's like, it's things very, only matter in relation to other things. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, the, that was the, in the last story, I guess the eyes, the, the, he gets really to the heart of that in the last story, the last story or the one before the last story. The oh, the eye, you're right. The you're right. Yeah, yeah, the eyes one. Well, she just gets into. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. All these objects resenting eye havers. Yeah, like you only have eyes because I am here for you to see. Well, you know what I liked about that story oh, is that it so it was like this whole book has kind of a almost a solipsistic just tone to it. You know, this this right. the character is so self centered almost consistently throughout and sort of perceives everything as in relation to him. And I I loved how that just kind of bubbled over and over until it almost came to a head at the end of that where it's just suddenly kind of he's radiating out everything in the creation of the universe all out from like yeah. this one impulse that well, he had. Well, it makes had. so much it's sense, like a, right? It makes yeah. so, I mean, it's so funny because of the way these stories are laid together. And I want to actually remind me to talk about this as just a short story, uh, mm-hmm. just the form of this in a minute. But when they're all laid together, it's this incredible narrative where you feel, you understand why at the end there is that sort of solipsistic core to mm-hmm. god damn it i exist you're only there so you to see me right. the only reason you have eyes and an optic nerve yeah, yeah, and yeah. everything and yeah. retinas is all like for this all one this purpose yeah, right yeah. when you go all the way back to the beginning of the book um they truly are the only thing that exists it's true yeah so it doesn't really make yeah. any sense for them over In that sense, six this, billion this years this is much be like, more novelistic than than a short story right which is fascinating because yeah. these these so, stories have so appeared in different almost, publications yeah. at different yeah, yeah, times yeah. i think i don't know if this says it in the beginning of yours but um all at one point in games without end appeared in playboy um they've you know they were i don't know i don't know if he conceived i don't know the history of this book so i don't know if it was conceived as a collection mm-hmm. in this order or if it just sort of materialized must have been considered quite carefully when he actually placed it in a conversation. Oh, of course. Well, that's absolutely true. But I wonder if a, this edition sort of materialized as stories started to come together. There's another version of it called the complete cosmic comics. That seems like it's slightly different. I need to, I need to look up the the nuances of this. But um, the other thing I love in, in, uh, in the context of what we were just talking about, um, about the narrator's kind of perspective and worldview is that the story, the second to last story is, is, really almost the one story that takes that to the complete other other end of of self-awareness and it was the one um the light years which is such a great title the light years um and it's it's the one where he sees this i gotta just read the 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 one of the early opening passages of that because it was god some sometimes he just hits a turn of phrase that is just just knocks you out um that's weaver I know it's, Weaver that's what's that. so strange, right? It's, it's sort of a dialogue between Calvino and Weaver, yeah, um, which is fascinating. Um, okay, so this is the opening paragraph of the Light Years after the part after the sort of just scientific principle part. Right. One night I was, as usual, observing the sky with my telescope. I noticed that a sign was hanging from a galaxy a hundred million light years away. 
On it was written, I saw you. I made a quick calculation. The galaxy's light had taken 100 million years to reach me. And since they, since they saw up there what was taking place here 100 million years later, the moment when they had seen me must date back 200 million years. The fr- this is going to sound so stupid, but the, the thing that really blew me away about this was when he says, the moment when they had seen me must date back 200 million years. He never for a split, this is, this is what was incredible about this to me, was his kind of solipsistic view comes crashing into a sense of profound insecurity throughout the course of this story, but yeah. it all starts right from that sentence fragment where he doesn't take the even a single brain cycle to question whether in fact he was the person who was the intended recipient <laughs> of that of sign. The message of the sign, right. whether it's true that he had been seen, even if he was intended, you know, right. like just, just he, he does these calculations to just determine the moment when they had seen me. Right. He just takes it completely at face value, <laughs> right. which I thought was incredible. And then, and that, that kind of just snowballs over the course of the mm-hmm. story into this incredible back and forth where he starts then becoming incredibly self-conscious about the version of himself that's on display and then he he will he will he overcompensate. Yeah, he will conduct these <laughs> these altruistic acts and gets to the point where he then has a huge sign with a thumb that points towards him or away from him. <laughs> that's intended, intended to indicate when people should be forming their conception of his character. <laughs> that is just, the most incredible part of yeah, this story. It just goes on the and sign on. with like, a giant thumb yeah, or the finger. Look over stopping. there or look back here. <laughs> yep. And then, then he gets so neurotic about having the sign that he misuses that he it. Misuses where he's like, it. oh, wait, no, oh, I'm about to do yeah. something altruistic. And then he fucks up. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. And he, he starts. Oh man! And then he said, "He's like, should I make a should I make a no, never mind sign right. yeah, <laughs> or whatever?" Right, oh right. my god! And then this and is, the, it is one of the most fun stories. It I think, really is. Yeah, it yeah. really is. It, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I love the. <laughs> he starts seeing these just bizarre signs. It's like <laughs> only one side. Only one side said what I'd really been expecting. You know something? You're really on the ball. <laughs> The idea that that is, I mean, just everything about this is so absurd. And then by coincidence, that was the very place where the sign had appeared saying, we can't see a damn thing. <laughs> There's this whole universe of people who apparently only Or like an audience for to, him. And they're to, all right, hearing about right. other people seeing these yeah. things happening. Yep, yep. And it, I just, the there's... I can't possibly summarize the number of insane, hilarious things that happen in the story. It just gets so right. folding in upon itself. But it's it was... Just, just from a pure playfulness standpoint, it was a real high point of the, of the novel. It wasn't probably the mo- the most resonant in the in the kind of like deep profound right, some of right. these are, but it did speak, I thought, pretty well to notions of how we are perceived by people. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely this is a really kind of self centered way to look at it, but specific to us in particular, just the thing we, I mean, the reason I bring it up is because an example of it is what we're doing right now which is broadcasting a bunch of opinions from on a one-way platform oh, right. from here out into the internet. And there's and something, also into space, Chris. And into space for all time. Um, and there's something about that that leads to very weird, you know, it, it forms people's perceptions of us among the small audience that mm-hmm. we do have in a really weird way. You know, someone, we have this other podcast we do called Idle Thumbs that is about video games and we've done it for, we recently hit our hundredth episode. And there are plenty of people who have heard one episode from the middle of that run and that's all they've ever heard. And they've yeah. heard episode 83 and that's it. And they tuned in for that hour. They heard a bunch of opinions, some of which they might have found really strange. And they will never have a single other data point about right. us for the rest of their lives. But they will have formed from their perspective a full, a, a, big, a full enough opinion 
to have said, well, that person seems like an idiot or, huh, that right. seems smart, you know, but there's, that's it. I mean, mm-hmm. they, you know, they, yeah. they might never have, and you could, it's, you really can get into a, get into a state where you're constantly second guessing yourself and kind of trying to make up for well, things. We were kind of talking kind about of, that today yeah. on I Am. We were like, oh, I'm really glad people didn't hate our interpretation of, bi- our, like the way we received, uh, sorry, Bioshock an aside, Infinite, a, a Bioshock Infinite, a video game. And I said, oh yeah, you know, like I don't really, you know, yeah. yeah, like you can get to a place. And I think, you know, we've dabbled in that in the past in the podcast mm-hmm. where we're worried if something doesn't going to land or if people aren't going to mm-hmm. um, like the way we say something. And then it does, no matter what, the moment you get into that space, you do start to yep. swing, push the pendulum back the other way, Yep. you know, and, and, uh, and you know, less kind of um, less self-centeredly. I mean, you, you know, in a, in a less literal way, that's just how we live our lives right. constantly. I mean, the book, the first book we read, the sense of an ending, uh, we refer back to that book a lot, but I think it's because it hits on so many core things about just being a human being. Um, that whole book is essentially about that concept. You know, the notion yeah. that these individual actions you perform can, can, can completely inform somebody's uh, opinion of you for potentially decades or go completely unnoticed even while you may have spent decades assuming that they were reading all sorts of things right. into them and they maybe didn't even were never aware of this thing in the first place well the protagonist know? in that story does feel the most like he and the guy from uh the sense of an ending could like get a beer and be like i know totally right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like exactly. they can really like get yeah, along yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like oh i had this idea i have a giant sign it's a thumb you should use it <laughs> <laughs> go to her house <laughs> yeah point the, point the big thumb at yourself and don't fuck be, it up it'd be really nice <laughs> yeah sometimes i screw it up yeah. yeah yeah i mean it was fun for that story to be the most sort of uh, i don't know it played with neuroses in a way that the other ones really didn't yeah for sure yeah. that's what was interesting about it because yeah. he's, most of the most of this book the character is so sure of himself in almost every the book. dinosaur one not less. That, There's a lot more insecurity. That's true, in there. but by the end yeah. of the story, he has this just kind of contempt for almost everyone else, as I recall. Or does that does that come back around? Yeah, it was my least favorite, so I don't. It doesn't. I don't. It was definitely not my least favorite, but it. But I felt it went on too long. I just was kind of tired of it. By the yeah. yeah. Um. I want to talk about the first one because to me that was the strongest. Which in, is also in sort of the of ins- inspiration for the cover image, if you're. It is, yeah, and yeah. apparently, and reading the hardcore. I saw someone mention it was the inspiration for the Pixar short La Luna, which I mean, it's oh. pretty similar, so it's not yeah. surprising. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it's a, it's a this is a about um, this group of people who is responsible for when the moon uh, in its in its orbit or, or whatever reaches the closest point to the Earth. They're responsible for kind of leaping up to the moon, you know, from this ladder that they construct and mining the cheese off the moon and then sending it back down to this boat (laughs) that they all gather in. And then they all come back down to the boat and they wait for the next time the moon's, you know, in closest to the earth, uh, in its its period. Um, and it, it, to me, it was kind of one of the most, out of all the stories is the one that is the most literally perceivable. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's the one that is, you see people in a boat, they're concrete. You, know? you yeah. understand yeah. what the they're moon is. Yeah. You kind of, there is enough sort of like cultural zeitgeist imagery of the moon as this place that, right. that groups of yeah. men and women travel to. I mean, even just journey to the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The all the way. Old short. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. All the, the silent film. Mm-hmm. Just watch that smashing pumpkins video. I, I, see, <laughs> yeah. I, saw, I saw the film with the Castro as like a bonus thing. Before oh, really? Something else. Yeah. Um, so you do sort of picture it 
it's very like like you said it's like very graspable and yeah there's a which makes it a good for opening when you story. read it in a ma- there's a film of it playing in your head as exactly you're it. yeah, yeah. It's, very, it's very romantic imagery yeah you know whereas a lot of these are i mean quite beautiful pictures painted but of much more abstract things or things right. that could be seen by different people in totally different ways where i suspect people's conception of this first story is probably at least somewhat closer to another person's conception yeah. of it um, and I, I liked it as the opener for that reason because it kind of eases you into the concept of what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these timeless characters who kind of exist in some ambiguous form for for all time, but this particular form is one that's that's, mm-hmm. that's more graspable to us. And I also just liked that each the characters in this one felt more fully formed, not just not just in terms of physically being human beings, but in terms of having um, complex and diverse. Uh, motivations and desires mm-hmm. they felt more f- well drawn to me than yeah. than in almost any other story no i agree because the there was also there was sort of dynamic interplay between what all of them wanted there mm-hmm. was a exactly a love quadrilateral yeah. essentially essentially yeah. a triangle well no i guess it was kind of a yeah because there's the captain of the boat and his yeah. wife goes up there and right. the guy follows his wife up there because he's into her yeah. but, the, the, wife but the wife is into the, this other guy who's the kind deaf of kid world and has no <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah you're right you're right yeah, and I all that's I don't know. There's something about it that was just very charming. <laughs> no, it's really wonderful, uh, and I liked the pers- the the image drawn of the sort of like their pro moon milker, <laughs> the kid, you know, the sort of right. This this, this kid is you get the sense he's probably be described now as like autistic, maybe or or, right. or some kind touched. of touched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, he's he's just got this sort of savant like. Um, synergy with the moon he sort of mm-hmm. seems to understand it in an intuitive way that none of the other characters do mm-hmm. um, and one of the most interesting things about that uh, at the end is that he, when the moon over the course of this story begins to its closest point to the earth gets farther and farther away to the mm-hmm. point that at the end of the story the moon on its on its orbit it, this is the last time it'll ever be close enough for these people to directly interact with it and at that point, the the captain's wife, you know, on whom the main character has had this longtime crush, um, she decides to stay on the moon. The main character can't quite go through with it and falls back down to Earth. Um, but this the one character who, you know, this kind of, as you say, the pro pro moon miner guy who the captain's wife loved. He's so he's so apparently in tune with the the moon that he kind of just lets it go and right. kind of just do you love something you let it, it must that, yeah, be gone, yeah it's not his not his place to be on there and so yeah. it's it kind of ends in this tragic note where um he's fulfilled know. he's fulfilled in what and willing to let it go right but the woman but in her the, lack of fulfillment must stay forever to yeah. sort of just well and none of this and as a result of that none of the four none of those four characters actually ends the story with united with the thing that they love right. you know um they have different certainly attitudes towards that but um yeah 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 he's called the deaf one in there yeah i remember yeah, yeah. which i always thought was really fascinating because yeah. other i mean if you've read the book you know this and if you're going to read the book uh which you should it's really really wonderful it's also one of the things it's short stories so yeah, you read one like and you this, move on yeah, read this, i i would recommend um reading kind of spacing these out mm-hmm. you know read a story maybe read two stories but don't don't read it the way you would a novel where right. you just slam which sort of makes it an 
in like an inelegant selection for the book club. This by the right, virtue right. you have it, to it read it a month. Me, it took me almost the entire month to read this book, which is funny because it's probably the shortest one we've read so far. Mm-hmm. Definitely the shortest. Um, um, but it, I definitely felt like I, I couldn't engage in really long reading sessions right. like I would be able to with a more typical novel. It, it's almost like there's sort of like a bandwidth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you yeah, have to, you, you almost have to tolerance. acclimate yourself to every story anew. Yeah, because the 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 kind of conceptual framework that each story exists in is kind of different from story to story. And I think um, Calvino probably deliberately al- almost alternates some of these, you know, some of the modes in which they operate. Yeah. Um, do you read a lot of short fiction ever? I rarely ever do. No, yeah. I, I kind of feel like I probably should read more of it. And I, it's, it's never been a form that I've, um, I've been very well familiar with, not because I don't appreciate it, but for, I never, you know, I didn't go to school. I, I didn't study English in school or anything. So I feel like I, I was never in one of those situations where you would just be naturally exposed right. to short stories because they don't, they don't pop up in the kind of just mainstream consciousness very right. much. Well, they don't have any market the, value other right, than exactly, being, you yeah. can read them in magazines. You know, the, I mean, literature is kind of just devalued as a form relative to, to what it was, you know, X number of decades ago. But within it, really, it's just the novel that's left with any real yeah. cultural currency. You know, poetry is pretty marginalized. The short story, somewhat marginalized. Um, like if you're not being published in the New Yorker, you're sort of... Yeah, you're, there's that. There's no other. That's it. <laughs> you know, right. and I, there's literary journals. It's but those are so, so funny though, because if you go to an MFA program, you're going to write a ton of short fiction, and then you're probably going to put together a collection of short fiction at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Like I think, Girl in the Flammable Skirt might be Amy Bender's UC Irvine collection. Mm. She's never going to listen to this, so it's fine. But <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean, though. But yeah. you know, a lot of the authors that I really um, am big fans of feels like one of their first books is always a collection of short stories that I imagine mm-hmm. is just a really well edited tuned up version yeah. of where they left their and MFA it, with. It makes total sense as a, as, but it sucks to go do an MFA. And the first thing you actually make that you put all your time and effort into is something that's completely not sellable. Right. <laughs> you know, well, it wasn't, I mean, David Foster Wallace's MFA thesis was a novel, right? It was the, the broom of the system. Yeah. Broom of the system. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess that's probably less common, but I, it, I can understand why short stories would be more highly praised in an academic setting because I would imagine it would, again, not have, I haven't gone through a mm-hmm. writing program either at the, at the undergraduate or graduate level, but I would imagine it really helps you to just kind of refine um, skills like brevity and, and kind of thematic consistency oh, yeah, absolutely. in like a really yeah. rigorous way. But it's um, funny reading short but stories. But as you say, yeah, you can't sell them. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny reading short stories though. You for, I had forgotten this like it's a difference between a soccer player and a football player or like people say oh football's so easy because you just go a little ways and you stop and you go a little mm-hmm. ways and you stop but you're doing these like bursts you know right, of like right, right. assess and react and burst and run and sprint and then impact yeah and then reset and that is just a completely different rhythm of the long jog that is or the long haul that is a novel mm-hmm. and it's almost like you burn you burn emotional or mental calories every time you experience a new setting or every time you experience a new conflict or a new character you actually burn mental energy codifying them and remembering them mm-hmm. so that when you're doing that over and over and over again reading a bunch of shorts you just mm-hmm. get tired i see that's a really good point you know yeah. what i mean you just get no it's true because you're just sort of like okay wipe that clean fresh yep. i'm a dinosaur now yeah, <laughs> you know it's yeah. really just it's well, um, and in this book it's kind of compounded by you know what you were talking about earlier about the notion of the part of your brain that Right, it's kind of additionally um, 
demands are put upon it in this, right. you know, by this book that, that typically aren't in, in straight fiction. Yeah. And I'm a really big fan of another short story writer who's also uh, an SC professor, but T.C. Boyle. And when you read his stuff, uh, you know, almost, you know, I can't think of one that goes against this, but I'm a person on the earth. <laughs> you know <laughs> so when you tackle cosmic comics and every single short story could be your person on the earth you're not, you're a mollusk yep, you're right. an an atom you yep. know it's really you're a person on a future weird earth where the moon you know comes within 20 feet of the of the surface of the planet mm-hmm. uh it's a whole wipes like wipe clean and just com- utterly blank can like canvas you have to create to start building the context of these stories for yourself in order to enjoy them yeah which is a great exercise i mean if you just like to read and want to be a better reader i think it's just a really tremendous book in that regard as well yeah um yeah i mean any well, I, um, one thing yeah. that I think we kind of alluded to a couple times, but didn't really talk about just outright, was just the quality of the prose. I mean, just the lyricism yeah. in the book as a whole, which you know, it's that that was a big that was a big part of the enjoyment of this. I mean, so much of the um, of this book asks you to take such huge leaps in terms of um, what you're willing to interpret through a human lens versus what is kind of abstract and you know, what is both um, like there a lot of times in the novel, he will, he will start to say things like I had thought about growing a mustache. Of course there was no such, like the concept of mustache did not exist. So it's like, I don't know what you mean by That's this. The you know, yeah, God. And he'll get into this, like this, this kind of recursive thing for like an entire paragraph. He's yeah. Like, but of course the concept must have existed. But there must have been some. No, but I that thought it could, of it. That it could have existed. Yeah. And like he just he'll go back and forth on himself, and so. And by thinking of it, I didn't have a brain. Right. This is just sort of a concept that was rolling around inside of my form. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He talks about form a lot. Yeah. And so there are a lot of there are a lot of times where you almost don't know what to think, and you kind of just have to be buoyed along by right. just the 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 power of the prose itself. And right. there are occasional moments of just almost like transcendent uh, uh, beauty that that right. that that. Um, evolve out of it yeah yeah and most of my favorites of which i think have to do uh with the sort of eon spanning timelessness of every moment in which the story exists i mean i a lot of the um almost paradoxically i think the stories that tend to be about the least concrete um types of beings you know the ones that are just atoms or just those tend to be the ones that actually stay within their time the most and then the ones that are stay within a moment or Mm -hmm. or let's say um um, like sort of infinite suspension of 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 motion or something but yeah the passage of time neither is doesn't exist right right whereas the ones that that it almost feels like in a lot of these stories the more except for the one except for the moon one um the more specific the creature gets the more, or you know, whether it's a human or or a, a organism in a more traditional sense, it seems like the more specific they get, the more Calvino is willing to just go off the rails with the sense of time and you know be in sort of like a prehistoric period and then suddenly dip into like a train station in Canberra, right? You know, in in eighteen ninety three or whatever, and then and then dip right back out, or then the then the chapter ends, and you know, it's I I, I found I found those little um kind of temporal diversions 
so compelling each time and so beautiful each time. And I, I, uh, I, I thought the juxtaposition of, of like when he chose to introduce them was really wonderful because it was really sparing and mm-hmm. it seemed really carefully considered each time, even if I wasn't always clear entirely what the meaning was. And mm-hmm. um, I guess the most surprising example of that for me was uh, on page 92 in the paperback edition where he suddenly, this is more than halfway through the book, he suddenly starts referencing, uh, he, he, this is in the middle of, of this really weird kind of eons long petty series of bets that he has with this other guy, oh, yeah. the Dean. Um, and he suddenly says, at the point we had reached, we needed reference libraries, subscriptions to specialized magazines, as well as a complex of electronic computers for our calculation. Everything, as you know, is furnished to us by a research foundation to which when we settled on this planet, we appealed for funds to finance our research. And the, <laughs> officially, we live on our modest salaries as researchers for the Electronic Prediction Center with the added sum for KYK that goes to the position of Dean, which he intrigued to obtain for the department, though he kept on pretending he wasn't lifting a finger. And there's suddenly this incredible moment of specificity about, right. about They're this. They're working in this, this completely yeah. abstract, bizarre s- series of bets that he's had with right. this other entity that has existed, you know, since the universe was created. Right, and especially because when they start betting at the beginning, he, he, makes, he, goes, he makes a point of saying... We're betting, but like the concept of having something exactly. to, that to put on the line doesn't yeah. exist. Right. So it's sort dip, of this sort of dipping into this like incredibly specific, very concrete thing where there's like right. this actual front that they use to finance <laughs> right. their operation. Um, that was the that this was that was the the kind of least ambiguous of of all of those little um, diversions that I mentioned. But it, I I just bring it up because it was the most extreme in that regard. But the ones that probably were the most pleasurable to me just while I was reading were the ones that were more transient and, um, uh, you know, just ineffable, um, yeah. I suppose. And I wish I had, I really like this one. A I lot. wish I had a couple offhand. Him you know, and Dean. Down, but, I mean, that was, <laughs> Dean is just sort of a dick. <laughs> He's yeah. like, well, that's of course. The thing is, Oh, Adams today. Everybody's oh, a dick to this guy yeah. though, right? Like <laughs> everyone it. he encounters is just, is, to him is just the worst. And I, I, that was really funny to me because it, you know, you do start to question this characters. It has a really dark ending though, right? Um, really? No. Oh yeah, it does. It just sort of, it goes on ad infinitum and you sort of see some of the fun take it by the end of it. QFWFQ oh, yeah. has yeah. had all the fun of this, right. this he's, taken he's out of it for him. At that point and Dean has, the Dean has somehow taken the upper hand and yeah. It's just, yeah. A lot of them have a very sort of, playful middle and then a, a very uh finite and almost somber conclusion which is a very short story this is like typical of short stories to some degree right it's the kind yeah of yeah i mean striking ending that that yeah is. i mean isn't that that's kind of what we said about what was the book that i felt like need, it was it should have been a short story or a novella oh uh, was that last blood. month by blood yeah because yeah, it did have that yeah that that sort of gong-like ending where yeah. suddenly it's you know and but none of these have that they just have a very like they have a note that they end on. It's true. You're right. And I like that yeah. way better than and there was a murderer inside. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm trying man, it kills me because I remember there was there was uh, an ending of one of these stories that I was my my single probably my single favorite just moment of prose in the book, and I just can't I can't find it, which is tragic. 
and I didn't write it down for. Oh nope, I found it. It was the end of the dinosaur one. Oh really? Which, okay. Yeah, which was, as, yeah, yeah. as an overall story was kind of underwhelming for me. Um, but the ending was just so unexpected and surprising because this was one of the stories that he never departs from the time in which the story is set. You know, mm-hmm. it's set in the sort of, I don't know what, 50 million years after the fall of the dinosaurs and he's this last remaining dinosaur, which, you know, doesn't make any sense, but they just, it's part of this whole right. way he tells the story. It's so hard for me where... to read this one because I just kind of kept picturing the land before time. <laughs> like the animated cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I did like in this story how frequently he tried to out himself as a dinosaur and how and how in and just how nobody ever took him at his word. Right, because of course they're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, be right. And so he was so worried about it that eventually that worry sort of started to consume him, and he started to clearly want to be found out, but right. he was unable to to cause that to happen. Um, anyway, so the end of the story, um, he he sees this this little this baby. That he recognizes as a half breed. It's a half dinosaur, right. half new one, you know, whatever that's intended to mean, this new type of organism that is inheriting the earth. And to him, this is a really kind of profound moment. He's seen this creature that's like him for, you know, the first time in, in millions of years. Um, so he says, I waited for him in a clearing in the woods to watch him play, chase a butterfly, slam a pine cone against a stone to dig out the pine nuts. I went over. It was my son, all right. He looked at me curiously. Who are you? He asked. Nobody, I said. What about you? Do you know who you are? What a question. Everybody knows that. I'm a new one, he said. That was exactly what I expected to hear him say. I patted his head, said, good for you, and went off. I traveled through valleys and plains. I came to a station, caught the first train, and was lost in the crowd. And that just came so out of nowhere <laughs> like, to me. And it was such an evocative yeah. image that it, 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 it stuck with me for some reason in a, in a really extreme way. Um, and that it was just the, it was my favorite example. And it's not, I mean, Echo does that kind I'm sorry, not Echo. Calvino does that kind of thing, um, you know, at various points throughout the book. Um, but that was the one that to me was kind of the, right. the, the example that was most powerful to me. And I'm not even sure why, to be honest, it was just a moment of lyricism that I appreciated. Yeah. That's, I just wanted to bring that up as just an example of one of the things that uh, to me was a sort of purely pleasurable yeah. about the book, you know, and I'm not entirely sure even what to make of it. Well, I think that's sort of the magic of the book, at least for me personally, is that, there are just these moments of surprise and delight yeah. and provocation, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I guess, or like of, mm-hmm. you know, that I think when an when a writer has that in their belt and yeah. knows how to do it, yeah, it's the most enjoyable thing to experience as a reader. Yeah, just no, just giving yourself over to the story and just you're going along. You're thinking, how is you know, you're like it's coming to the end. He's talking to his, his half breed kid who doesn't know him. And then just this surprising and provocative end. We're like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> you know, I think that's that's the joy of reading. I think, yeah. and I, yeah, this book has it a and lot it, for me, right? And it really demands some restraint, right? Because I, I hate, I this is just makes me want to barf to, to say, but when I, especially the bit about the kind of research foundation that he and the dean used to finance their weird bets, when I read that, I couldn't help thinking of the sort of awful alternate reality version of this novel in right. which that is a thread that pops up throughout the thing. Oh, I know. Some kind right. Of lore that is right. like you determine and kind of people make a wiki about it where there's, right. it's all know, the Higgs boson. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. The, exactly. the collider is like yeah, yeah, yeah. specific background, you know, and it just, I, I don't, you I, don't like Canon. <laughs> oh, you gotta like Canon. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was so glad. <laughs> that was, I mean, 
not that I had any reason to assume this book would be that, but I remember getting to that part of the book and that was the one like, wait a minute. It's like, wow, this could have gone in a bad direction. You're like, if this comes up again, exactly. we're going to have trouble. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was, you know, and as it was, just nothing in the book is that easy to pin down. Yeah. And I love that about it. Yeah. That's what's great about it because it doesn't, it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. based on when it came out and like the, this, the um, cachet of the author doesn't have to have some sort of like hook yeah you know i kind of not i don't mean to be disparaging but i kind of compare it on the opposite side to cloud atlas mm. cloud atlas is 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 a couple degrees too clever for its own good all right. the time yeah i agree and I, I that's a book that i love but like if cloud atlas didn't a, have any of that stuff could be but th- there would there have been a film you know what i mean that's sort of the question if, well that no, seems like yeah. the kind of thing that people like the wachowskis really latched onto and thought right. was the coolest thing about it and to me, it was kind of the weak point of, right. of the novel. So I yeah. don't know, you know, who knows. Um, and I still, I do love Cloud Atlas, but but yeah, the, it, it it did seem at times to me like Mitchell maybe didn't have full confidence in the, you know, the, the book's strength on its own merits without yeah. having to rely on that stuff. But I love that in, in, I mean, Cosmic Comics is so far from that because there isn't even a shred of the of that kind of. No, it's um, impossible. Yeah, but but uh, but just yeah. physically and metaphysically impossible. <laughs> yeah, <that's> true, yeah. <laughs> just no, exactly, good luck exactly. to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should uh, option Cosmic Comics and write a screenplay. Oh goodness, <laughs> what would that even mean? <laughs> it's it would be have just... to be anime. It'd have to be just. A... It'd have to be the kind of animated film that you can't make anymore from a major studio, you know, or like right. Fantasia or something. It, right. would have to, it would have to be, I mean, and even that, you know, is a rarity in its time. But right. I mean, it's, it would have to be something just completely abstract like that. But would it? Well, what if it starred Matt well, Damon be, as QFWFQ? I mean, the thing that, would be so, <laughs> thing that would be so cool about a potential animated version of that is you could seamlessly... You could imagine a version of this that seamlessly that never had a break. It just seamlessly this is transitioned. Be a ridiculous oh, comparison, but like the scene with Mr. DNA and Jurassic, Park, <laughs> where, the, where the DNA strand just suddenly metamorphoses into a dinosaur completely seamlessly. I mean, this is an absurd reference. Oh my but god! You know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows what you're talking well, that's about. That's why I'm using it as an example. <laughs> so really, the great coup would be. Figuring out how to finance. If just find the guy who find made the guy who made the Mr. DNA interior film of Jurassic Park. And finance uh, finance Italo Calvino's Cosmic Comics. For it would be incredible. Yeah, you could have made it in like the sixties. Yeah, when like the like when, when the monkeys were making head. You ever see? Have you seen head? No. Oh really? No. Oh, it's just it's a it's imagine the last twenty minutes of uh, two thousand one A Space Odyssey, but with the monkeys. Wow. Yeah, it's nuts. I am totally unfamiliar with that. H-E-D, I think. might have an A in there. I think it's H-E-D, though. I could be wrong. Thing, also, yeah. The thing, the thing that I was thinking of was that, what's that, that film, The Thief and the Cobbler? Oh, I don't I, know that. It, this was a film that was, that, it was an animated film um, by Richard Williams, who is this uh, kind of acclaimed animator who, uh, he did. He was the animation director on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and he was he wanted he had this film he wanted to make, The Thief and the Cobbler, that was like this crazy exploration of animation and this like really ambitious, crazy work. There's a, there's a documentary about it you can find on the internet, um, and it was just kind of his white whale for years, and it kind of never got finished in the way he wanted it to. And if you see clips from it, it's just crazy. It just morphs between really concrete scenes of characters and completely abstract scenes that are just seamless and it just you 
you can tell is just made by an animator who just wants to push his craft as far right. as it can go. And it got released in some just kind of half done form that the studio kind of turned into like a much more typical movie that mm-hmm. you know was whatever. Um, but I, that's the kind of, like when you, you know, said, oh, you, that was the kind of thing that I had in mind. Like right. those crazy things that you don't get, you could never get like a big studio to finance now right. because people are, too, marketing departments are too savvy. Right. You, know? like, you could never get you that can't by just them. convince someone that that's going <laughs> right. to be, no, 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 I swear people are going to dig this. They're going to think it's great. I mean, it's got a great name. Yeah. <laughs> There's a thief and a cobbler. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what does that, what does that, that say to you? So Cosmic Comics, is that, what, is that like a Marvel movie? Like Spider-Man <laughs> comics? Like, oh, like, like space? Com- comics? Space? Like, in, like yeah. DC in space? We can do that. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds great. All right. Greenlit. Like a whole <laughs> galaxy of comic characters. Yeah. yeah. Good. On that note. Join us next week when we read <laughs> Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Yeah, next month. Next, it's almost week. next it's week. Take longer than a week yeah. to read this one. Yeah, it's a long. It's long. It's pretty chunky. But uh, it opens, having just started it, strong. So I think yeah. I, if it, if it keeps going uh, like this, I'm gonna, it's going to be a very enjoyable read. Yeah. So yeah, join us next month, and thanks for listening, guys. Thanks a lot. Talk you to can, you soon. Uh, write us at books at idlefilms.net and uh, find us at idlebookclub.com. Yeah. Take care. That's it for this month. Join us next time on the Idle Book Club when we will be discussing Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. For Idle Thumbs, I'm Alex Ashby.